Well, hello there. Welcome to this special daily series of Right Now at the Writer's Colony. I'm Chad Gurley, Colony Coordinator at the Writer's Colony at Dairy Hollow in the historic arts village of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And I'm honored to host this podcast featuring writers, authors, poets, and artists from our community and across the nation. During this monumental time, the Writers' Colony at Dairy Hollow believes it's important to give voice to the writing community, to hear their thoughts and guidance, words of hope about this pandemic that we are all experiencing in different and unique ways. So again, welcome to Right Now at the Writers' Colony podcast. Let's see who we can get on the line. This call is being recorded. Hi, this is Michelle Hannon from the executive director. Hey. Hi, Michelle. This is Lonnie Whitaker. I'm the executive director of uh, my basement. <laughs> Hi, Lonnie. How are you? I'm just great. It is so good to hear your voice. You too. I didn't know if you were here or not. I've never used this before, but Chad's been having Neither so much fun. I wanted to get in on the action. I'm so happy. <laughs> so um, joining us today, we have Lonnie Whitaker, who is a longtime resident at the Writers' Colony at Dairy Hollow, the author of Geese to a Poor Market, as well as some children's books, Mulligan Meets the Poodlums and Mulligan Runs for Office. So why don't we start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, Lonnie? Well, I guess in terms of a biographical sketch, my educational background started at a two-room country schoolhouse in the Ozarks and uh, ended up uh, graduating from the University of Missouri Law School. And a few years ago, I retired as district counsel for a federal agency and and have been uh, managing the household and stirring uh, two standard poodles, or now it's a standard poodle and a golden and a tomcat, and um, trying to keep up with all my writing projects, which uh, most actually the thing that has been keeping me busy the last uh, couple of weeks is uh, back in October, I think right after my uh, last visit to the Writers' Colony, uh, I was asked to write a column a bi-weekly column for a Southern Missouri newspaper. And the title of the column is The Way We Were, Reflections on Growing Up in the Ozarks. And that has been that has been a really an interesting thing to do. And it's uh, just amazing how many stories come to mind and, and uh, things that uh, I find that people want to hear about. So it's been fun. Is there a way for us to see those columns, to read them? I wish it's not a non. It's a it's a print newspaper. It's the Hal County News. It's a weekly newspaper, and uh, on occasion somebody will post one of my columns, and I cringe a little bit because it's a clear violation of the copyright. But uh, uh, nobody seems to care too much. And uh, but the only way you can actually see them is to uh, have a subscription to the Hal County News. And incidentally, um, a woman in Arkansas. Uh, ordered a new ordered a subscription, but in the process said she wanted also wanted all my back all my back columns. So I thought that was fun. Yeah. So how long have you been a writer, Lonnie? 
I started I started non-technical legal writing probably about 1999, I think. I was sitting in a doctor's office reading a magazine. It was actually Missouri Life magazine. And there was an article written by the publisher about uh, growing up on a, growing up on a farm, and I read that and thought smugly to myself that uh, I can write an article that good. So I wrote an article, submitted it, and by golly, they bought it and paid me one hundred and twenty-five dollars. And I thought, oh, this is this is easy. And uh, I it didn't take long to realize that I was the fortunate recipient of beginner's luck. And uh, but in the process, I learned that I needed to learn something about the craft of writing. Uh, lawyers write a lot, but traditionally lawyers aren't very good writers. That's not as true today, but in the past they tended to be verbose and uh, use a lot of jargon. But uh, what I learned in working with the editor at the magazine was that uh, that the things that I'd learned in high school, the long pretty sentences laced with modifiers wasn't uh, effective. Uh, or appropriate for you know commercial fiction writing, and so I started taking writers' workshops. I I went to the first workshop I went to was at Ball State in Indiana, and I met a techno thriller author there, and uh, he'd reviewed he'd actually read the little magazine article that I'd written, and um, he said, "You know how to write. The question is, what are you going to do with it?" And then he said, uh, gave me a bit of advice that I have not forgotten. He said, "You never want your protagonist." running quickly when he could be sprinting and uh, uh i keep that in mind all the time that's great but, but after so I, I i wrote the i wrote that first magazine article then a second one for missouri life and then i think i published had four or so published with the with the, the ozark mountaineer which was a uh, publication out of branson which was a nifty nifty magazine but it finally went out of business and in the course of uh, uh, writing those articles, I started taking uh, workshop classes and uh, met some good writing coaches and and uh, started writing short stories and submitting to some contests, had a little bit of success there. And the uh, one of my writing coaches said, you really need to write a novel. And that seemed insurmountably daunting to me. And but uh, so I started writing one chapter at a time. and. And after a few years, ended up with Geese to a Poor Market. And that uh, was a story about growing up in the Ozarks, basically, and some of the interesting characters that I met there. The, the catchphrase for that book was, it has one leg that wants to boogie and the other planted on a pew, which sort of, was a character, sort of characterizes the dichotomy that existed in society then. But uh, it won the Ozark Writers League uh, Best Book of the Year. So I'm proud of that. It was a fun read. I enjoyed reading it myself. Yeah, the interesting thing about that, the original publisher went out of business and I couldn't get books. And uh, so uh, I contacted the distributor and was able to get the publishing contract transferred to me. But then I realized the only books I could order were books that had the out-of-business publisher's name on it. And uh, so I had it. I had a new cover uh, done, had it reformatted, re-edited, got a new ISBN number. And uh, so I think the copy you have, is that the, does that have the blue copy or the brown copy? Brown copy. Oh, you've got the old copy. The new one, the 
new, which I will bring down when I come down next time, or I'll mail it down. It has a nifty new cover, and uh, the typesetting is much better on it. So. Well, I'm just going to have to read it again, though. I love them. All the characters were so much fun. Oh, aren't the characters fun? Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. This one, you know, people always want to know how do you come up with characters, and the one, the one character that fascinates me is Ethan Collier. For those who might be listening, Ethan Collier is a unkept uh, Ozark hillbilly, and I describe him as a combination of Ernest T. Bass from the Andy Griffith show and Rain Man, the Dustin Hoffman character, the autistic savant character in the movie Rain Man. Uh, but he's also a combination of this hermit that lived across the gravel road from where I lived with my grandparents as a kid. And he was just, he was this older guy, had this bushy beard and un, unkept uh, uh, hair, and, and he'd wear the same pair of bib overhauls until they were literally falling off. And people were afraid of him because he was just strange looking. And I wasn't because I had to take Sunday dinner over to him every day. And uh, all he would say was much obliged, much obliged when I'd give him the plate of food. But my grandmother told me that, you know, that uh, at the turn of the last century or so, he was one of the dapper young men around the country community. And my grandma told me that uh, he always wore a starch shirt and that impressed her. And uh, he was engaged to be married and he showed up at the altar and his fiance didn't. And uh, so I gave I gave Ethan Collier, uh, you know, the character Ethan Collier, another chance at romance in the book. That's awesome. So, um, so then he started writing children's books. What what made you do that? Like, what inspired you to write children? What what once again it was smugness. <laughs> yes. I would you know, I said you know, I would be at the writers' conferences and, and the only thing that I had published at that time was the first novel. And uh, I'd see these people would have their tables covered with these children's books and I thought, It can't be very hard to write a children's book. Well, once again it was um, you know, uh lack of knowledge uh, is bliss. And uh <laughs> Uh, but I came up, I came up with this idea about Mulligan, the chili-eating tomcat, and my original publisher liked the idea, and said she would publish it. But then finding an illustrator was proved to be a different, different problem. The one she found um, wasn't. The, well, the publisher and the illustrator agreed to disagree, and so we didn't have an illustrator. And then I found one, but he was about to be deported back to Thailand, and wouldn't sign a contract. And uh, uh, finally, uh, Tiffany Schofield, who who stayed at the colony and you've met, uh, had a small press publisher, had a small press, press publishing company called Little Hands Press, and uh, she liked the story. And so I got traded from, from my original publisher to Tiffany, and uh, uh, Little Hands Press published the first Mulligan's book. And, and the second one is published under my own imprint, and uh, so that's Sassafras, Sassafras, Sassafras Lane Publishing, which is appropriate for the book. And uh, uh, after, in the second book, uh, Mulligan runs for office. Uh, that, with all the election stuff going on, that just seemed like a fun thing to do to have Mulligan, the chili-eating tomcat, run for dog catcher. <laughs> it and, is very cute. 
And of course, uh, there's a new character introduced in this, uh, the burly bulldog named Loophole. And uh, he's uh, created a situation that can only be remedied with a showdown at the election booth. And, and Mulligan, I say, is the cat for the job. And so it's, that, that's really been fun to market. It, um, because I've got elections, I've got election, you know, election stickers for uh, Mulligan, and and uh, but the problem is, as you well know, this current COVID nineteen thing has put a put a, put the brakes on uh, my book marketing. The the first the book launch had to be had to be canceled and it's rescheduled, and then and you and I had discussed. Uh, uh, I was going to come down in this month and stay again at the colony and participate in the colony's uh, literary safari. And then I was looking forward to another thing that you had been working on, and that was uh, an event with the, is that the Carroll County Humane Society? Yes, it's uh, Good Shepherd Humane Society, yes. And and uh, uh, and, okay. I, and, I, and I was looking forward to doing that event because I've done a, I've done a number of, of charity events with rescue organizations. My wife and I are very interested in both, you know, in both cat and dog rescues. And in fact, the book Mulligan is based on a rescued tomcat. The original Mulligan meets the Poodlums is, is pretty much a true story about a rescued tomcat that we got. And he, he came already named. His name was Nick Nolte. And, uh, but, <laughs> And the original title of the book was Nick Nolte Meets the Poodlums, but uh, the publisher and I decided that we better not we better not do that because the, the real Nick Nolte might take exception. So we borrowed the name from my newest dog, Mulligan, and so uh, Mulligan Mulligan seems to fit. It does, and the illustrator is wonderful, by the way. Oh, oh, she is just fantastic, and uh, we plan on doing a third book. And the third book is going to be about golf. And uh, we're going to have a charity match with the proceeds going to some organ the res some rescue organization, a charity match between uh, Mulligan and Loophole. And uh, Christina, who is just marvelous to work with and such a fine illustrator, uh, said got all excited. She you know, said she could see um, Mulligan in a in a set of uh, plaid knickers and a Ben Hogan flat cap. And so it would be, be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's adorable. It's just, that's adorable. That's awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to do the Mulligan Rally when you're here in November, fingers crossed. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'd love to plan on doing that. That'd be fun. Yeah, all parties are still very much interested in, in participating, so. Well, I can bring my my big mulligan, my my cutout stand-up mulligan. He'll have to have to bring him for sure. Absolutely, that'll be fun. So, do you have any other projects in the works? Well, I, I do. As a matter of fact, I just I have just completed a second novel, and it's called Soda Fountain Blues. And Soda Fountain Blues takes the Wesley character and uh, advances him in age to uh, to eighteen. And it's a story of uh, Wesley panhandling a job in, in Yellowstone Park. And it's a coming-of-age story. And Wesley meets a Mormon cowgirl. And, of course, I'm not aware that there any such a thing as a Mormon cowgirl, but in my book there is. <laughs> and uh, he meets a Mormon cowgirl who has a different idea of romance than he does. 
and uh, there are lots of twists and turns. And and uh, two years ago, uh, I went on a, a trip, a bus trip out west with my wife that went through the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone Park. So I uh, got the logistics down of of, uh, of the spatial relations that is of where everything is located to make sure I was make sure I was on target. But uh, it's a fun it's a fun book, and uh, um, it's completed, ready to go. And I'm looking for an agent or a publisher at this time. Oh, it sounds awesome! I can't wait to read it. Oh, it, I I think it's fun. I think I think it's fun, and and it, it has a, it has some any coming of age book is going to have a few poignant poignant parts to it that are sensitive and and insightful. I think, and uh, but there's a, there's a lot of humor and fun in it. It seems like I can't write without having some a touch of humor in what I write. And, I was just going to say, I'm sure it has that classic Lonnie Whitaker sense of humor. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think. And, uh, I mean that in the nicest of ways. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, but I have, as you have mentioned, I am a long-term resident of the writer's Con. I think I've been there. I know I've been there probably 15 times and, and, uh, but I, I have to say that you and Chad are just wonderful, wonderful additions to the long line of people that have been directors. And and the first director I had was a guy named Steve, can't remember his last name, but then had Jane Tucker, who was marvelous, and Vicki Schneider, and then Linda, of course. They've all just been uh, wonderful. But uh, uh, I this is an example of change has, change has been has good here. I just think you guys are just marvelous. Oh, well, thank you. And um, so what keeps you coming back, Lonnie? What draws you to the writer's company? It is a place that I feel like none other that I feel a sense of purpose and focus and just a general peace of mind comes over me when I get there. And it's like when I walk through the door of whatever suite I'm staying in, it's like all of a sudden, I can feel my muse tapping me on the shoulder and said, well, it's about time you got back here. And uh, I settle in and I know that good things are going to happen after I get there. And uh, the food, you know, you can't mention the writer's colony with, uh, uh, out mentioning Yana. And uh, the, uh, you know, the, the previous uh, cook, my, just my, I know her name well, it just escaped me at the moment, uh, I thought was wonderful too, but Yana is in a just a class of her own, and just such a marvelous person. Isn't and, she? Uh, I, I get withdrawal symptoms for her oatmeal <laughs> cookies, and and every once in a while I think, I'm just going to make some oatmeal cookies, and I'm a pretty decent cook. But I thought I know I will make them; they won't be as good as Yana's, and I'll just be disappointed. So I will. I guess I'll have to wait until October. Right. Well, Yana will be here. Cooking up a storm. Yeah. She's so good at spoiling people. Oh, she is. She just is wonderful. So what, what, um, how else do you spend your time besides writing, Lonnie? What are your other interests or hobbies? Well, uh, as I said, I retired a few years ago, and I heard it said that you're going to be surprised how busy you get when you retired, and, and that's certainly been my case. Uh, where we live, we... I'm, we're 45 minutes from the Arch of St. Louis, but we're in Jefferson County, which is of the county surrounding St. Louis. It's the one that was more slowly developed and maintained its rural characteristics. So 
although we're in a subdivision, it's a subdivision of of uh, wooded acreage. So we're surrounded by like six acres of woods just where we live, and and uh, we have deer and turkey and snakes and squirrels and any kind of wildlife you can think of. And when you pull into the house, it's pretty much like you're living in the country. And so I have plenty of plenty of chores around the homestead here from falling leaves and getting out the chainsaw. In fact, on on Sunday, we planted 75 uh, pine tree seedlings. And not that we don't have plenty of trees, it's just like it's an older forest and we're just doing our part at reforestation, I guess. And we'll, we'll get a benefit out of it here in a few years, but uh, it just seemed like it'd be something we ought to do. And um, we have this past year, we acquired a new puppy and it was a, a golden doodle. We've always had standard poodles. So this is three quarters standard poodle and one quarter golden doodle or one quarter devil. And uh, he's gotten huge and chews everything in sight. But uh, he's a sweet dog, but Manny, he takes your time. Well, a puppy and, will keep you busy. Pardon me? A puppy will keep you busy. Oh, absolutely. And I, that was right when I was trying to, when I was trying to, we got him right when I was trying to uh, finish the rewrites on on the uh, uh, new novel and get the, uh, and get the children's book to press. And every, every 40 minutes I had to stop to let Duffer the dog out. So we've got Mulligan the dog and Duffer the dog. So you can see that there's golf in our life. My wife is a good golfer. I'm not. I would have quit years ago except uh, I'm her golfing partner. And, uh, <laughs> but so we play golf every time we get a chance. Do you garden? You said you you planted pine trees. Do you do, do you garden at all? Oh, oh, I used to, but I can't, I can't simply move it too. We, we don't have any, there's no place we have enough shade. We, there's no place to have enough sun to grow anything. I, first year out here, I tried to grow green beans and tomatoes and, and uh, it's just that we just not don't have enough sunlight. We're in the middle of the woods, and so uh, I get to the farmers market when I want fresh tomatoes in the summertime. And uh, uh, but no, I used to I used to love the garden, but I I don't now. Uh, I chop trees down or chop chop brush down. I guess that's my that's my agrarian that's my agrarian activity is, is picking up brush. So how long have you lived there? We, it, it seems like yesterday, of course, but we moved here ooh, 28 years ago. This, 28 years ago this month, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and when we first moved here, it was, it was just so, so very rural appearing. And the drive from the, the interstate that goes around the city uh, to where we turned off to get to our house is, you know, probably 10 minutes. It was just so rural. And I remember thinking, oh, this is always going to be rural. You know, it's so hilly they couldn't build anything. Well, about five or six years later, you could hear the dynamite blasting the tops off the off the hills and, yeah. and, and two shopping centers went in. And so, but we're still five minutes. We're still five minutes in a lot of woods, many of the shopping centers. But, uh, uh, it, you know, it's just, you know, the urban area keeps spreading out. And have you always been in Missouri? Well, when I was, I grew up in southern Missouri, and uh, 
spent seven years at the at, in Columbia, Missouri, at the university, and lived in Kansas City. My first job out of law school was with the Highway Commission in Kansas City. Loved Kansas City, and then I got a job opportunity in St. Louis, and have been in St. Louis, but for two years in the early 80s when I was working uh, in Texas for the Small Business Administration Disaster Assistance. And so every time uh, I see the, you know, that there's been a presidential declaration, a disaster declaration in the area, I have flashbacks to, uh, uh, you know, working on hurricane hurricane loans and tornado loans and flood loans and mudslides and, and uh, it was it was really it was an exciting job, but uh, uh, it was ten hours a day, twelve day, ten or twelve hours a day, six days a week, uh, and uh, I got an opportunity to come back to St. Louis. So I moved back to St. Louis in uh, January of 1985. So I've, I've been in the St. Louis area since uh, January of 1985. Okay, and and how have you been dealing with the pandemic situation? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that, and. Uh, but you know, on the on the essential side of life, that is food, shelter, housing, transportation, I haven't been uh, particularly adversely affected uh, by that. My wife is a nurse and still goes to uh, work at a doctor's office, and uh, they're not seeing as many patients. And uh, you can, you know, there hasn't been really any shortages to. You know, people. Everybody's talking about the toilet paper and the hand sanitizer, uh, but other than that, the supermarkets have pretty much every you know anything they've ever had. There was a sometimes a, there was a shortage on eggs or milk, but uh, you know, as it you know because when I was doing the disaster work, and later with the federal agency I worked for, I was put in charge of disaster preparedness, and we. And I'd go to all these trainings. I went to training in in San Antonio and took all these different courses on disaster preparedness. And the thing they kept harping on was the next problem was going to be some type of uh, uh, communicable disease like a virus. And uh, so the federal government's actually been preparing for this stuff for, for years. Um, and as a result, I've always kind of, I'm not a prepper. I'm sort of fascinated by the people that can do that, that have, a, you know, everything from bomb shelters to, to uh, your supply of food that sort of fascinates me. So I'm not a prepper, but you know, I've always got enough food for a week or so in the freezer. Or, you know, so I've never been, never felt like I needed to go out and hoard anything. We just generally stay reasonably well supplied because electricity goes out where we live from time to time. And, and uh, so it hasn't really adversely affected me there. But the, but the, on the non-essential things, uh, I, you know the Masters Golf Tournament in the U.S. and the British Open and and the Final Four and, and those types of things that are, are really non-essential as we're finding out. Uh, you know you miss you miss that sort of thing. Uh, but you know but again I I stay quite busy with my writing projects and the, the things that are related to writing uh, that aren't actual writing are, are just always so time-consuming. Mm. So have you been getting a lot of writing in? Uh, I've been the column. The column's been taking the 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 columns for the, the the newspaper have been keeping me fairly busy because the last several that I've written aren't just anecdotal stories of growing up. They've actually involved some research. In fact, the one that was published last week 
was um, an article about this nationally known actor. Um, have you seen the Have you seen of those Geico commercials? There's there's one on a uh, where there's a wedding scene on the beach and the and the gecko is walking on the beach and and there's a wedding scene going on and and uh, uh, the the actor playing the preacher is a student that was a there was a, a schoolmate of mine at the two room country schoolhouse I went to. Oh my God. And, uh, well, and it gets even, and then there's a, a hearing aid commercial around where there's a scene where there's a son trying to communicate with his hearing impaired father who can't hear him, and uh, but then he then the then the father goes into a monologue pitch about about this particular brand of hearing aid, and the and it ends with the with the catchphrase of his son saying, "I love you, Dad." And if you go in Walmart, there's a there's a there's a on the shelf there's a picture of this guy with the hearing aid commercial that they peddle they sell them at Walmart, and uh, in he's been in a number of movies uh, Evan Evan Almighty uh, the movie in the movie Lincoln, he was he was the doctor that pronounced Daniel Day Lewis dead at the end of the movie. So and he's he's been in uh, numbers of different movies and so I wrote this article about him. But it, it took a you know it took some time to get all that together and and get it researched. But one of the funny things about it was I with all these different people that he's acted with, I I, I wondered about the Kevin Bacon parlor game. And so I asked you, did you know Kevin Bacon? What was his connection to Kevin Bacon? He said, well, actually, he'd been an extra in Kevin Bacon's uh, movie, The Hollow Man. And so I I concluded, hey, uh, there's only one degree of separation between uh, Kevin Bacon and me. Who knew? That's pretty impressive, Lonnie. <laughs> I tell you, and, uh, so it's uh, those are the kind. So the the articles of the articles you know the, started out just being anecdotal stories that were that were funny, and and I still do those, but on occasion I get some that are a little more sophisticated, and I have to draw my my experience from writing magazine articles, and so and that's come into play. Wow, and. But, the one that I just sent in that will be published this week is called Church Camp Confidential. <laughs> about some of the hijinks at the uh, at a church camp in the Ozarks. So, oh, that's, so that's, that's actually. How do you come up and, with your. I, go ahead. Hey there. Yes, can you hear me? Yes. How do you come and up I with your. Go ahead. I was wondering how you came up with the titles of your stories or your books. They just they they just come to me, and uh, um, you know, just I I'm a note I take notes when I get random thoughts. For example, I was on my exercise bike, and there's my wife planted some azaleas that had red blooms on them right outside the window, and I looked out there, I looked out the uh, window, and I saw those little red blooms, and I had this thought: little hearts opening to God. And so I wrote that down, and that became a chapter title for one of my one of my stories. And uh, um, then, oh, and I still I still submit this. You know, every October the Ozark Creative Writers Conference is in in uh, Eureka Springs, and so I still I still submit a, at least one at least one contest submission there. And year before last. Uh, I won first place 
in the 99 word flash fiction. That's awesome. Congratulations. So, well, I will, it, I'm going to give you the 99 words because it relates to Eureka Springs. It's called Revenge. And so it says, another OCW awards banquet, and he had struck out again. Three contest entries and nothing to show for his efforts for the third year. Every year he could count on two things. Shirley Miller would win a boatload of awards, and it would be Corvette Weekend in Eureka Springs. He, did, he didn't know who was more insufferable, the smug Corvette owners revving their engines or Shirley preening. Disgusted, he left for the motel. Twenty vets were parked outside. As he passed them, he pounded each one, setting off the alarms. Motel doors flew open. He smiled, and then he ran. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh... You, have, you, have, you, have to, you have to be from Eureka Springs to appreciate the reference to Corvette Week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh. So we're, um, we're very much looking forward to having you back, Lonnie. I'm telling you, the Writers' Colony oh. is not the same without our writers. I, I can't I can't wait to be there and uh, um, just I'm really looking forward to it this year and I, I'd look forward to coming down this month. I thought, oh, that'll be so fun. I can get down there. I can get down there two times this year, and uh, and I had good reasons. I had good excuses why I needed to be there. So that was that was even better. Well, we're just gonna have to make your stay coming up this fall even better. Well, we'll I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be great. That's wonderful. Well, it's such a pleasure to speak with you, Lonnie. All right. The pleasure is mine. Tell Chad and Yana hello for me. I certainly will. Thank you so much, and you enjoy the rest of this beautiful day. I will. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today for Right Now at the Writers' Colony. I'm Chad Gurley, your host and colony coordinator at the Writers' Colony at Derry Hollow. To find out more about the Writers' Colony, visit writerscolony.org. That's writerscolony.org. Until tomorrow, stay safe, be well, and write on.